This week's episode is brought to you by Bureau Veritas. At Bureau Veritas, each and every member of the team is by your side to help you navigate your decarbonization journey. This is Green Seas, the podcast by Tradewinds about the environment and the business of the ocean. I'm Eric Priante Martin, and today we're going to talk about the year ahead at the IMO as the UN body works to build the policy measures that will aim to turn its net zero ambition into reality. Thank you, Mr. Chair, uh, ministers, excellencies, distinguished delegates, observers. This is Kaitak Lim, Secretary General of the International Maritime Organization, or IMO, speaking at a key committee meeting back in July. The United Nations shipping regulator had just agreed a new goal for the industry's greenhouse gas emissions, net zero by around 2050, with a view toward making 20 to 30 percent cuts by 2030 and 70 to 80 percent reductions 10 years later. a very busy week for all of you. There is no doubt that this week was a defining moment in the history of the committee. And indeed, the organization, you all worked extremely hard to ensure a successful outcome. I'm extremely pleased to welcome your adoption of the 2023 strategy on the reduction of the GHG emissions from ships. Now, Lim is stepping down as his term ends at the end of the year, but the IMO has much more work to do. July's decision, after all, set targets and it will have to adopt policy measures to make its new strategy come true. Stepping in to take the helm at the IMO is Secretary General-elect Arsenio Dominguez. This is his message at the International Chamber of Shipping's Shaping the Future of Shipping conference during the recent COP28 climate gathering in Dubai. Yes, we have the IMO strategy. It was a great achievement last July, but it's what comes next. It's what we're going to start doing to make that a reality. At IMO, we haven't stopped. We're already carrying out the impact assessment on the fleet and on states in order to provide the necessary information for the Marine Environment Protection Committee meetings that will take place next year, and that will lead us to those measures that will be adopted by 2025, implemented in 2027, and that will make these objectives of the strategy a reality. One key technical measure that the IMO will be considering in the year to come is a fuel standard, a rule that would gradually ratchet down the carbon intensity of fuels. Then, there's the economic measures. There are several on the table, but they basically boil down to putting a price on carbon, which will raise revenue to pay for greener fuels and technology, as well as helping the nations that worry about the negative impact of the new rules, or that are particularly vulnerable to climate change. The IMO will also be working on changes to its existing regulations, known as the short-term measures, including the carbon intensity indicator that grades ships based on their operational emissions. But that first indicative checkpoint, seeking 20% but hopefully 30% emissions reductions by 2030, is only a few years away. You now have a clear vision of where we're going. Yes, we're still developing the measures, but you know where we are. Yes, it is seven years, but for me, we have seven years to work with, and I can guarantee to you that we'll not rest in the years to come to actually keep bringing that amazing group of 175 member states that share the same vision, even though sometimes with different um, opinions, 
but we all will continue to deliver on what the organization has done before. We will not forget on safety. We actually are working on safety aspects of this transition as well. We will not leave the seafarers out of this equation, but we also need the support from the industry and the member states in order to help us to bring the seafarers on board, to listen to what they have to say. Dominguez pointed out that the COP28 gathering saw a number of commitments from shipping companies under the Green Shipping Challenge, highlighting the role of first movers. I can reassure you that I'm fully committed and I will work tirelessly to bring the member states on board to ask for those that can take the first steps, both member states and the industry leaders, uh, to take those first steps, to be the early movers, to support those that are more in need from the countries, the developing islands, uh, the small island developing states and least developed countries in order to continue to work together. But it's that, it's the example that some of us can take in order for the rest to follow. It's a transition. Not all the solutions will be there tomorrow, but we all know where we're going, and I'm sure that together we will continue to achieve those goals of the organization. It's a global industry. We will focus on global solutions, and that is one of my main commitments for the years to come. What does the IMO's workload look like in 2024? There are two key meetings of the Marine Environment Protection Committee in the year ahead that will be key to getting these midterm measures adopted in 2025. One is in March, and the other is starting in late September. In March, the committee is scheduled to finalize a basket of candidate measures under consideration. At the same time, the IMO is currently carrying out a comprehensive impact assessment to figure out how those measures will affect economies and the shipping fleet. An interim report is scheduled for that March meeting. But I talked to Tristan Smith, an associate professor at UCL Energy Institute, who told me that the timeline for the work on some of that assessment, particularly the results of a study by a consultant who won't be hired until late December or early January, may not provide enough for that first March meeting. Uh, That process, unfortunately, isn't in time for the MEPC 81 meeting, I think. I think it looks now very clearly unlikely there'll be material results in advance of that meeting, um, which makes it very difficult to have an evidence-based discussion at that meeting. That doesn't mean we can't have a good political discussion hear whether any countries are changing their positions or adapting their own thinking. Now, I talked to an IMO spokeswoman who told me that the consultant study is covering only a portion of the work on the comprehensive impact assessment, and the contracting timeline shouldn't prevent a discussion about the midterm measures in that March meeting. But Smith believes the autumn meeting and the working group session that comes right before it will be key. He told me that there needs to be a very clear consensus on a narrow definition of the new policy measures by the time that gathering concludes in early October. Some details can be left for adoption in 2025, but he said there can't be too many undefined specifics. It needs to be clear how a levy on greenhouse gas emissions needs to be applied, what emissions it covers, what the price is, and how the revenue is distributed. Having a good consensus on all of that would allow for time to do all of the boring but important work on the final details of those decisions. Even though the clear definition of the policy might not come until later in 2024 to be finalized the following year, Smith believes shipping shouldn't sit on the fence and wait for them to take shape before acting. Companies should instead take the new IMO targets seriously. We've ended up in this situation, unfortunately, where, um, you know, some very critical decisions will be crystallized but they won't be crystallized until 2025. But the but the way that they crystallize will invariably have 
major implications to anyone owning and operating ships and arguably anyone in the value chain of shipping. So you can't afford to wait until 25. Um, you have to take the revised strategy seriously because the revised strategy is the test as to what gets adopted. And it's extraordinary, the conversations that I've had with stakeholders in the shipping industry who don't want to believe the revised strategy, who just want to kind of say, well, this is this is what the IMO said, but you know, they'll adopt some measures and the measures will be rubbish. So it's not gonna it's not gonna affect us. And th- there is no logic to defend that. And he noted that it's the changes to the IMO's existing short-term measures that will have an important impact on what happens to shipping decarbonization pathway this decade when the targets call for that 20% to 30% cut. The midterm measures will probably not do anything to incentivize further efficiency. We know that shipping markets have got barriers and failures in them that prevent price signals from turning into energy efficiency. We've got 15 years of empirical data on that from some very high fuel prices that that don't always show that 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 converts. So the most efficient way for the sector to improve its efficiency is the existing measures. IMO is great at taking an existing measure and making it stronger. But there are challenges. Melina Travlos is president of the Union of Greek Shipowners, and she's chair of Neptune Shipping Lines. In Dubai, she told the Shaping the Future of Shipping event that the maritime industry embraces the IMO's net zero goal. But she said that the key to its future success depends on stakeholders that are not in the shipping sector or even under the IMO's jurisdiction. We do not produce energy. We do not trade energy. But we do use and transport energy. We do not design or build engines or vessels, but we do make the investments that make it possible. It is clear, therefore, that we stand on the demand side of the green energy chapter. We are dependent on developments of the supply side for the full decarbonization of our industry. Shipping will continue to do its utmost within its area of direct control. However, it is important to note that the IMO only regulates ships. It cannot regulate directly full producers, suppliers, ports, charterers, or even shipbuilders, all of whose contribution to decarbonization is indispensable. And she noted that maritime shipping is already the most cost-effective and energy-efficient means of transport. That's an argument that shipping's been making for a long time, although it's hard to imagine that there's any alternative form of transport for carrying, say, iron ore from Brazil to China or oil from the Middle East to the U.S. The cost-effectiveness of our industry must by all means be safeguarded. This means change must take place in a way that protects the sustainability of our industry without negative implications for the welfare of the citizens of the world. As such, it is also vital that proposed greenhouse gas reduction measures take account of the special characteristics of the different shipping sectors protecting their viability. Here's more on the environment and the business of the ocean. In the Green Seas newsletter, we dug into the latest annual report from the Poseidon Principles, an initiative in which banks report the emissions of their ship finance portfolios against the IMO's trajectories. What the report shows is that these banks' passenger shipping fleets are farther away from alignment with the IMO's new goals than the cargo shipping sector. 
a result of the unique way in which passenger ships' carbon intensity is calculated, and expectations for rising demand and crews. Get the newsletter in your inbox at tinyurl.com slash greenseas. My colleague Harry Papachristou reported on the Panama Canal, which has been reducing daily transits because of a climate change-linked water crisis. It's now expected to add two more daily transits in January. It was planning to go down from today's 22 vessels per day to 18 in February. The announcement came shortly after I reported that prices for Panama Canal slots that are auctioned have surged to an average of more than a million dollars for a classic Panamax-sized vessel, up from $114,000 in November of last year. Read all these stories and more at tradewindsnews.com. Music for this episode is by Pump Up the Mind from Pixabay.